When I am disciplining my two boys, they always have two questions for me. Number one, Dad, how long will the discipline last? If I send them to the bathroom, they ask Daddy, how long do we have to be in here for? Uh, if I take away their computer privileges, they ask Daddy, how long? They want to know how long for the length and duration of the discipline. The second question they ask is, what will happen to me? What will be my punishment? How will it end? Will it end with a scolding, a spanking, a taking away of privileges and rewards? How will it end? Likewise, we also ask these two questions when we get sick and go to a doctor. We ask them, doctor, how long will this sickness last? What is the duration of what I am undergoing? And the second question we ask them is, what will happen at the end? How will it end? What will happen to me? We also ask these two questions when we are in the service of our Lord. When we are called to ministry, when we are serving Him, we ask the question, how long am I committing myself to? How long will this commitment last? We ask the second question, what is required of me? How will it end? What does it look like? When we are called to stand fearless and bold, we also ask the Lord two questions. We ask Him the same questions. Lord, how long do I have to be bold for you? How long do I have to, to, to be a testimony for you? And what will happen to me as I stand bold for you? You see, we ask these questions when we are uncertain of what will happen. We ask these questions when life is difficult. We ask these questions when the certainty of the future is in doubt. We ask the question, how long and what will happen? And we often ask these questions to a God who holds the future in His hand. How then does He answer? You've asked those questions in your life. How does He answer those questions? As we close our study in the book of Daniel, these are the same two questions that Daniel will ask in relation to Israel's future. How long will the discipline of Israel last? What will happen to them at the end? Let's take a look how God will answer Daniel's two questions. If you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to the book of Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, as we take a look at verses 4 to verse 13. Daniel chapter 12, verse 4 to verse 13. Daniel chapter 12, the last chapter in the book of Daniel, as we take a look at verse 4 to verse 13. As we begin this section, there is a command from God to Daniel. Look at verse 4 of chapter 12. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. God instructs Daniel to close the book. Shut up the words. Seal it. There is no more to write. This is the end of the revelation as Regards to Daniel. Now, closing up and shutting the words doesn't mean hide it away. Don't let others read it. God's message was given to his people to serve as an encouragement for them as he reveals to him his plans for the future. But the idea of shutting up the words and closing this book has the idea that this book is to be guarded. It is to be treasured. It is to be protected. It is to be valued. This book was literally sealed, often with a hot wax, or the scribe who wrote uh, any scroll would often seal it, as if you were to seal an envelope, you would sign your name and, and then seal it to make sure there would be no tampering. 
the ancient scribes would also seal it to certify that what was written was exactly what God had revealed to him. In another sense, the sealing of this is the idea that it is not to be revealed fully in the time at hand. The full meaning of what Daniel would write would not be understood until the end, uh, until the end, until the time of the end. So it was sealed until such time. We remember that even Daniel did not fully understand what he saw, what he heard, and what he wrote. Not as and not until history continues to unfold itself would he be able to understand fully the prophetic revelation. God indicated that there would be an increase in knowledge and travel. We living in the 21st century understand that. This is a generation that literally travels a lot. This is a generation that is smarter than the previous generations. We are always amazed about how our children are able to, to understand concepts that for us took many years to develop. The Bible tells us in verse 4 that, that travel will increase, technology will increase, we will get smarter. But in the, in, the, in the context of verse 4, it has the idea that as people get smarter, they will attempt to try to understand this revelation. The attempt to understand the prophetic revelations of this book will mean that people will, will go to the ends of the earth, essentially, to search, to discover what is the intent of God's prophecy. As time would pass, knowledge would increase, and that is true. As we move towards the coming of our Lord, we will continue to understand more fully what Daniel has prophesied in this book. God promises to Daniel that you may not understand fully all the things that I've asked you to write, but in the last days, your people will increase the knowledge in the prophetic scriptures, and then you can apply it to the Word of God. This is a challenge for us as students of the Word of God, those who study the Scriptures, to keep watching, to continue to study in light of the fact that as we march towards the coming of our Lord, we will see that biblical prophecy indeed comes alive and it will be more relevant to us in these last days. Now look at verse 5 to verse 7 where the first question is posed. Then I, Daniel, looked and there stood two others, one on this riverbank and the other on that riverbank. And one said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, Note this, How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, when he had held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever, it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. And taking a peek at verse 8, we see that Daniel did not understand. Notice the first question that is posed as one angel speaks it to another, and perhaps this is the question in the heart of Daniel as he listens in, how long will the discipline of Israel last? How long? The vision was given in chapter 11. It was a vision of great discouragement for Daniel because it talked about God's discipline to his beloved people. How long will that discipline last? And the answer in verse 7 is three and a half years. Times in prophetic time is one year. Times is two. Half a time is half a year. Three and a half years. As we've talked about and studied the book of Daniel, we come to the understanding, especially in Daniel chapter 9, that after the rapture of the church and the great tribulation, there are seven years of unprecedented judgment upon the earth. Seven years. 
There, the Antichrist will gain prominence. For the first three and a half years, he will be the ruler of Europe. As ruler of Europe, he will sign a peace treaty with Israel. He will become Israel's friend, but he has ulterior motives. He is not Israel's true friend, true friend, but he will come and pretend to be as such. For three and a half years, he will rule Europe and protect Israel. But the Bible tells us in the middle of the tribulation, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, he will break his promise. He will break the covenant. The nations will attack, but he will become victorious. And the Bible tells us for the last three and a half years of the great tribulation, the Antichrist will rule the world and he will exact vengeance and punish the Jewish people. This is what is talking about here in verse 7. The last three and a half years of the great tribulation. The judgment upon Israel, God's discipline of Israel through the Antichrist will be something that is unfathomable. The Bible tells us that the power of the holy people will be completely shattered. God has been disciplining Israel throughout the centuries so that they will come and recognize their true Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. But these stubborn, hard-headed, knuckle-headed people will never learn their lesson. Sounds very similar to us. God's patience runs out with them and he punishes them greatly for three and a half years. Daniel, who loves his people very much, cannot bear the thought of God's punishing his people greatly. And he asks, Lord, how long? How long will this last? This punishment will bring the people of Israel to their knees where they will acknowledge the one true Messiah. Likewise, in the Christian walk, as we live out this Christian life, we often ask the question, how long? How long, God, will I have to go through what I am going through? We ask the question because we want to see the light at the end of the tunnel. We ask this question because we want a glimmer, just a glimpse of hope. How long, God? How long do I have to hold on? But we've asked that question, and the reality is, just like Daniel did not understand, when we ask the question of God, it seems that God is silent most of the time. God doesn't tell us how long. He simply tells us, trust me. God, I'm not asking the question about trusting. I'm asking the question, how long? How long? But God simply says, trust me. First Peter 5, 7, he says, cast all your cares on me, for I care for you. God, I'm not asking about casting my cares. I want to know how long. God answers us with silence, and he says, trust me. God does not tell us how long we will be single as we look for a God-honoring spouse. God doesn't tell us how long we will be sick. God doesn't tell us how long we have to take care of our aging parents. God doesn't tell us how long we will have to go through financial uncertainty. God doesn't tell us how long we will have to deal with our rebellious teenagers. God doesn't tell us how long our difficulties will last. And we cry out to him and we say, God, how long? And he simply tells us, trust me. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, and I hear that from a pastor, I would be so frustrated. Because for someone like me, 
who wants to know everything and who wants to know the details and who wants to know answers, specific answers. I want to know how long. And it is frustrating when God says, trust me. But you see, God is silent oftentimes and God doesn't tell us because he wants us to trust him, not the outcome. God wants us to trust him, not his timing. God, doesn't want, God wants us to trust him, not the results. And what we're asking for when we ask how long, we're asking for outcome and results. And God tells us, trust me. When we ask him how long, he is silent because he says, I want you to trust me always. If I were to tell you how long it would last, you will only trust me until that point. And then when you get out of your mire of despair, you will no longer trust me. And that is how we all are. As people walking the Christian faith, walking this life, when we need something, we will plead. Just like our kids are so nice to us when they want something from us. But when they get it, the moment that they get it, what happens? They don't remember any of the promises they have made. And so often God is silent when we ask how long because he wants us to trust him always. You may still think that you need to know the whole length of time. Let me give you this illustration. Many of you have young children and you've taken them on long car trips or you were a child yourself. You still remember those times and you went on long car trips with your parents. And perhaps you asked this because I certainly did. As we took a car trip, we'd often ask our parents, or my dad especially as he's driving, how much longer till we arrive? How, how long? How much longer? And to my consternation or frustration, what is often their answer, at least my dad's answer, five more minutes. We'll be there in five minutes. Ten minutes later, dad, how much longer? Five more minutes. Twenty minutes later, dad, dad, how long? Five more minutes. Oh, that would drive me up the wall. Dad, how long? Two hours later, we've arrived. Now I have kids of my own. And they ask the question, how long? They, they are living in a generation where everything must be instant. And for them, uh, even a, a drive to Trinoma is a long drive. How long? Five more minutes. Why? Why don't we tell them exactly how long? Because can you imagine a young child asking, how long? And we tell them the right answer. Well, son, this trip will take us exactly two hours and 54 minutes. You need to sit there quietly for that length of time. That would never happen. Your child is thinking, that's a long time. I'm going to start acting up. But a little child can, can grasp five minutes. Five minutes they can endure and, and sit quietly and not hit the brothers and sisters in the back seat for five more minutes. On a more serious note, we may ask God, God, tell me how long. And God doesn't tell us because he knows we cannot handle it. Can you imagine if you ask God the question, God, how long do I have to take care of my mother with Alzheimer? What if God told you, you've got to take care of her for 30 years? What are you going to think? You may be in shock. God, I don't think I can do that. 30 years is a long time. God, how long will my dad have? Well, children, you've got to take care of your dad with cancer for seven more years. And every day, you've got to take him to the doctor. If God revealed us exactly how long, how would we be able to take it? We wouldn't. 
because we couldn't handle it. And so in many ways, God simply tells us five more minutes. He tells us in the scriptures, take it a day at a time. Take it a day at a time. I'm not going to tell you how long. I want you to trust me one day at a time. Step by step by step. I met a lot of parents, and they, they don't know how to deal with their kids. And, 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 and they're, just, they're just waiting. Will God ever change their life? And they're thinking about the future, 20, 30, 40 years. How will they end up? And I say, you know what? If you think like that, you'll drive yourself crazy. You just entrust them into the hands of God, and you live out that day one day at a time. That's why God is often silent when we ask the question, how long? Because he wants us to trust him. Look at the second question with me, verse 8. Although I heard, I did not understand, Daniel says. Then I asked, question number two, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? God, how is it going to end? How will it all end? What's going to happen? Look at the answer, verse 9. And the angel said to him, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. Daniel was a smart man, a man who was faithful to God, a man who desired to know the deep things of God. And he asked God, God, how will it end? And God would not reveal any more to Daniel. If you want a man who walked closely with God, here's a man who walked closely with God, and yet God told him no. That's it, Daniel. Leave. Go your way. Paraphrase, get out of here. The book is closed. That's it. Perhaps God had a soft heart for Daniel. He realized the earnestness of his question. And in verse 10 to verse 12, God reveals just a few more facts about the end. Look with me in verse 10. Many shall be purified, made white, and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. In verse 10, we get a glimpse of the period of the Great Tribulation. Here, God tells Daniel through his angel and messenger that many Jews, many of his people, will turn to the Savior because of the troubles of the world, and the judgment of God, many will turn to the Lord. They will experience spiritual purification through faith in Jesus Christ. But many of the world will still remain wicked. They will still continue to follow and worship the Antichrist. But the Bible says those who are wise will understand. Those who look into the Scriptures will understand. The wise, because they have the insight in the Word of God. They to pay attention to divine revelation. And this is a great motivation and a challenge for us as students of the Bible, as people who are followers of Jesus Christ, that we need to grow deep in our walk with God to the deep understanding of His Word. I want to challenge you, my friends. You've got to read the Bible for yourself. You've got to read the Bible for all it's worth. You have to grow deep in your faith because the deeper you understand the God's Word, the more you will know and the more you'll be able to stand fearless for Him. This is a generation that likes everything spoon-fed to them. This is a generation that likes everything simple. But the reality of the situation is, yes, the gospel message is simple. But the deep 
truths of the Scriptures take a lifetime to understand. And I want to challenge you, my friends. Do not simply take the simple things. There are things we talk about, and you may walk away on a Sunday morning thinking, this has gone way beyond my head. That's good. Because then that should challenge you to go search the Scriptures and ask the questions so that you can understand The Bible throughout the scriptures talks about the wise are those who look into the word of God. Be wise people. This is not a world that will understand. But you need to be equipped. The Bible says move beyond the elementary teachings of the scripture and go to some deep understanding of God's word. That will require you effort. That will require you to go to class That will require you to take time from your schedule to learn the Word of God. And let me tell you what, if you have that hunger, you will be voracious in your study of God's Word. Look at verse 11 to verse 12, some more revelation of what will happen at the end. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to 1,335 days. The Bible tells us that from the time of the abomination of desolation to the end of the persecution is 1,290 days. Now, if you are good at math, three and a half years in the Jewish calendar uh, is only 1,260 days. Where do the extra 30 days come from? Well, most likely these 30 days come prior to the middle of the tribulation. The abomination of desolation is when the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 13, the Antichrist will set up an image of himself and he will ask that everyone worship this image. This image will be demon-possessed. Revelation chapter 13 tells us that this image will have the power to breathe fire to destroy those who do not worship. Very similar to the fiery image that Nebuchadnezzar sets up. And all those who do not worship were thrown in the fiery furnace. Very similar historically to Antiochus IV Epiphanes, who sets up the the abomination of desolation, uh, a statue of Zeus, the pagan god, in the holy temple of God. The Bible tells us in the future, the Antichrist will build this image. It will be demon-possessed, and all those must worship. Perhaps these extra 30 days... It takes for this image to be built before the rule is enacted. Or perhaps the announcement is given 30 days before the rule is to be implemented that all must worship. But there is a blessing in verse 12. Blessed are those who wait for and live to see the end of 1,335 days. 1,335 is an extra 45 days beyond 1,290 days. What are these 45 days? These 45 days perhaps come at the end of the tribulation. When Jesus Christ comes and plants his feet on the Mount of Olives at the second coming of Christ, there's a lot of things he must do in preparation for the setting up of his 1,000-year reign in the millennium. Ezekiel chapter 20, 20 tells us that he must regather his people. He must purge them. He must judge them. And perhaps it takes 45 days to judge, to purge, to establish the millennial kingdom. Because all the first generation who enter into the millennial kingdom are those who know Christ. Whatever the explanation, this verse was meant to encourage the believers living in the tribulation. But there's a lot of numbers there, and perhaps you seem very confused. Perhaps you may be. That's quite normal because Daniel was confused as well. 
Daniel wanted to ask more about these dates, but look at verse 13, the beginning. But you, go your way till the end. That's it, Daniel. You can't ask any more questions. His questions were not fully answered. Daniel said, what will happen at the end? God gave him some more details, but Daniel was even more confused. Because Daniel is not God. And he does not understand fully what God has in mind. You see, my friends, in this life that we live, there are many things that we do not understand. There are many things in this life we do not understand. And we ask God, how will it end? And he doesn't tell us. Have we come to a point in our lives when we say, God, it is okay that I do not know everything. That must be a humbling thought to a lot of us. God, it is okay that I don't understand everything. I trust you. I trust your revelation and your word. I trust the way you live and the way you have planned for me this life. What you have revealed to me is good enough. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But that which has been revealed to us is for us and our children. God, there are a lot of things you keep secret from me, and that's just fine. There are many things in this life, my friends, we don't understand. We are not told how it will end. When we get to that point of desperation, because we do not know how it will end, the only thing we can cling on to is God's word and his character. I love the song, Trust His Heart. We've sung it before. And I like the chorus. You know the chorus. So when you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his plan, what? Trust his heart. Trust the character and the goodness of God. Why do these things happen, you may ask? I don't know. But I trust the plan of God. Perhaps it's to bring your family closer together. Perhaps it's to bring them so that they will walk with the Lord. I don't know. But trust God's plan. My friends, would you accept the plan of God for your life without knowing what was in it? Many of us would not. You see, our version of God's plan is this. God, I want you to write for me a piece of paper. I, I want you to give me the, uh, uh, a sheet of paper that has for me who I'm going to marry, what my job will be, how much I'm going to make, when am I going to die, make sure I have no sicknesses, when I'm going to have on my vacation, how many children am I going to have, or going to have any at all. I want you to write for me exactly your plan, and I want you to show it to me. And when I see it, I will then trust you, if I like it. If I don't like it, I'm going to ask you to rewrite and give me plan B. And if I don't like that, I'm going to ask for plan C. That's how we pray and that's how we think. That is not trusting God. You know what trusting God is? Trusting God is saying, God, here's a blank piece of paper. You write whatever you want on this piece of paper about my life and do not show it to me. I will trust that what you have written in this piece of paper is the best for me because of the fact that you love me. That is trust. And yet, it's so hard to do because we don't know the ending to the story. And we all want to know the ending of the story. But you see, that's life. Life is full of uncertainties. People are shocked at life because it has so many uncertainties. You know, there's so many people, I ask them, do you trust God? Yes, pastor, I absolutely trust God. And they say that because they're living in a good place at their life. It is a right time. All is going well. And when, when all is going well, it's easy to trust God, right? When all is going well, it's easy to trust God. And we think that in this life, that's how life will always be. Life will always be joyful. 
in this present place where I'm very happy right now, that's how life will be. But those of you who have lived long enough know that's not life. Life pulls a lot of surprises. There are unexpected death in the family, unexpected sicknesses, unexpected business failures, unexpected family problems that, that throw a monkey wrench into your plan for your life. Can you then trust God and say, God, what now? I always joke, if you want to make God smile, tell him your plans. Tell him your plans. You'll make God laugh. I had three plans in my life. Plan never to be a pastor. Plan never to come back to the Philippines. And plan never to marry someone Chinese. Guess what? God had other plans for me. Life is full of uncertainties. Those who believe life will always be the same are in for a great big shock. God doesn't always tell us how it's going to end. But we can remember that our God will not give us anything more that we cannot handle. So trust. Patiently trust. And then you begin to see that indeed God's plan is so beautiful. Perhaps I can give you this illustration. Life is like boarding an airplane. And that plane is headed to sunny Boracay. You, 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 you've been waiting so long to, to just rest on a beach in Boracay. And so you're so excited. You, you packed all your, your swimsuit and bathing suit. And, and you get on the airplane and, and you close your eyes and you draw the shades. Uh, and, and, and you can't wait that when you next open your eyes, you're going to be in sunny Boracay. Well, when you wake up and the plane lands, you find out that you're in Switzerland. And all around you see is Alps, the Alps mountains. Instead of the beach, the sun, and the surf, you got snow skiing mountains. How in the world did that work out? And then you realize that the return flight is not for a long time. You're not prepared for it. You've packed summer beach clothing. It is the dead middle of winter there. You don't even speak the language. You've got to learn a new language. And it's tough. And a lot of us, when that happens to us, we say... I'm going to complain. This is not fair. I shouldn't be here. I deserve, I demand Barakai. But if you trust God's plan, and you hang on and, and trust Him and His divine will, that even though the Barakai beach turned out to be the Swiss Alps, that instead of getting mad, you're going to accept God's plan. And so you get prepared you begin to accept, and so you buy a winter coat, and you get a ski goggle, and you buy your mittens and your battery-heated socks. You begin to take ski lessons. One day, as you are taking an exhilarating run down one of the beautiful mountains and look around, you realize, you know what? The Swiss Alps are every bit as wonderful as you had expected Barakai to be just in a very different way. And the only reason you are able to enjoy the new circumstance is because you accepted the position you're in. There's a lot of, we call it monkey wrenches that are thrown in our life. We expect Barakai in our lives, but we get the Alps. And the Alps aren't bad. They're just different. And we didn't expect that. As seasoned travelers, most of us would complain, and that's how we are with God. God, why? 
Help me understand. And God is silent. God simply says, trust me. You see, part of trusting is accepting. Accepting our lot in life and saying, God, thank you. Thank you for this. There are a lot of sick people in our church this day. I hope that as you look at the prayer list that's inserted in your bulletin, that you're praying for them. I hope that it's not simply, oh, well, this person's sick, but your heart goes out to them because just as you want people to pray for you, they would love for you to pray for them as well. You know, I visit them. I wish more, but the ones I can, I visit. And I think that I'm the one who's going to bring encouragement to them. But you know, many a times I walk away from that hospital room being encouraged myself. I'm the one who's encouraged. I see this brother in Christ who's, who is going through the late stages of cancer. And he's in pain. And when I visited him to try to encourage him, he encouraged me. Because he told me I've accepted God's plan. And there's a joy in his heart. There's a joy in his life that I wish I had. And I pray to God, God, if you ever put me in that situation, will I have the joy that this man has? This is a man who thought he would have Barakai, but he got something radically different. He didn't even get the Alps. He got a hospital room. And it's hard to accept when we're expecting a, a, a sunset life to, to have something like this. That is so hard. And God doesn't explain it to us. But this man who who walks deeply with the Lord, understands what it means to trust. And there is a joy in his life that I wish all of us would emulate, joy in the midst of hardship, because we don't understand. You see, in times of uncertainty, we ask the question, God, how long? How, how much longer do I have to hold on? And God, how will it end? The answer to these two questions is trust me. Trust me. That is how the book of Daniel ends. It ends with uncertainty for the writer and the reader. Two questions left unanswered, we think. Except the great spiritual lesson is trust me. Daniel, you don't need to know exactly how everything is going to happen. I will take care of my people. I am the Lord God, the God of the universe, the God who created, the God who, who instills government and takes them out. I am the Lord God. I know what I am doing. You, Daniel, you Christians, you trust me. Now, our God is a very gracious God, and he could have left it there. But in verse 13, we have this wonderful verse that ends the book of Daniel. But you, Daniel, go your way till the end. Note this. For you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of days. You know what verse 13 just told Daniel? Verse 13 told Daniel, Daniel, you're going to die. Daniel would not and did not live to see many of his prophecies fulfilled. You shall die, the angel told him. Now, what a terrible way for this man of God who has been living so faithfully for him to be told at the last verse of this book, you shall die, Daniel. 
But if we read from the lenses of God's encouraging word, there are three things that God gives Daniel by which to cling on to faith. Three things. Look with me, number one. For you, Daniel, shall rest. The word rest means die. But, but, but for those who know the Lord, who have placed their faith in him, they are simply resting. Death is not a finality. Death is but rest. Here for a man who's probably in his 90s, who has served the Lord faithfully for 60 years, 70 years, he needed some rest. Daniel, your job is done. You will rest. He had been faithful to the Lord, and now he gets to rest. From the moment he was a young man when he refused the king's food, to the moment he was refusing not to pray, then thrown in the lion's den, to the moment he told the king, the greatest man in that world at that time, that he would become a beast. He always stood fearlessly and faithfully, and now he gets to rest. And for this man, that must have been such amazing words. Words of comfort. I don't know about you, but whenever you go through times of great discouragement, you just want to rest. Just a rest from the fighting in your family. Just a rest from, from the problems. I, have, I go through those same things. There are days when I'm discouraged. There are days I'm tired and say, God, I just don't want to be a pastor anymore. I don't always want to be on all the time. I don't want people to look up to me. I don't want to live in a fishbowl anymore. I don't want to work weekends. I don't want to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning on Sundays anymore. I want to be normal. I don't want to be on all the time. And it's hard. I know. It is hard to be bold. And it's hard to be firm. And it's hard to stand up for the Lord. In, in your workplace, perhaps it is very antagonistic of someone who walks the Christian life. You're just tired and the Bible promises us rest. The Bible promises us rest. But you say, God, I want rest now. In the book of Hebrews, the Bible tells us Abraham and all those men of faith found rest when they met the Savior. Life, you think, may be long, but compared to eternity, our life is very short. So in the scriptures, the Bible tells us to live this life until the day we see him. Always faithfully, always on the go. That doesn't mean don't take physical rest. That's not the point. The point is, as we live this life, we don't rest one day from our Christian faith. There are a lot of people who can fake it on the weekends. Every weekend, Sunday mornings, they fake being a Christian. I can be a Christian for three days, three hours. It's easy. Some can fake it through a weekend at a conference. Some can, can fake it through a, a week at a conference or seminar. But it is hard if you don't have Christ to fake out your Christian life for years. And it is hard to stand firm. The Bible promises Daniel, Daniel, you shall rest. You shall relax. And the Bible is true. Second thing that God gives Daniel to hang on to, to have hope, is that the Bible says, For you shall rest and you will arise. Arise has the connotation of you shall live. Daniel, you will die, but you will live. This is the resurrection. We've talked about that. One day, the dead in Christ will, will rise first, and you shall receive the reward that God has allocated you. You will see the face of God, Daniel. 
Now, have you ever thought about that, my friends? You see, at the end of this life, we go to heaven and we see God. But what in the world does that mean, seeing God? You know, we're going to see God, yay. Most of our, you're not even excited to see God. We know that's the right answer, because you don't want to see the other one. So we see God. But it doesn't bring you any excitement. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 17, verse 15? Psalm chapter 17, verse 15. I want you to underline these verses. Here's a psalmist's perspective of what it means to see God. Psalm 17, 15. As for me, the psalmist writes, I will see your face in righteousness. Note this. I shall be satisfied when I awake with your likeness. Would you underline, circle, highlight that word satisfied? I shall be satisfied when I wake with your likeness. In this life, we are looking for satisfaction. We are looking for contentment. And it is hard to find because this world is unfair. This world is unfair. Everyone's looking to be satisfied. We don't find it. We don't feel satisfaction because we're mistreated for our faith. We don't feel satisfied because we've got to wake up on a Sunday morning while other people don't have to go to church. We're not satisfied because, because we've got to live a godly lifestyle while, while people can live a debaucherous life. And we're all looking for satisfaction. And, and Daniel left, finished this book, and he was unsatisfied. He had two more questions he wanted to answer, and God simply told him, Daniel, go your way. This is a life that is looking for satisfaction. And you know where you get that satisfaction? The Bible says, Psalm 17, 15, I shall be satisfied when I awake and see your likeness, when I see you face to face. My friends, the Bible tells us the day we see our Savior face to face, it is at that moment when we will say it has been worth it all. It will be worth it all when I see Jesus. Life makes no sense to me now. And I'm sure it doesn't make sense to you today. There are a lot of questions of why. But the Bible assures us when we see our Savior, something in us will feel satisfied. Complete, utter satisfaction. And we say, yes. All that pain, all that abuse, all that standing bold for the Lord. I have found satisfaction I am content. Now I know why. That's what the Bible says. And then read Revelations 21 and 22. One day God will wipe away all of our tears. Behold, I make all things new. Do you long to find worth and satisfaction in the life that you live? Then understand as you look to the Savior, to the cross, the Bible tells us, when you see the Savior's face, face to face, at that moment, you will experience total satisfaction. My life has been worth it. And you know what? This life is so full of pain. So when someone passes away, our heart feels like that life was too short. God took away that life too early. And we so long and we feel so unsatisfied. My friends, the moment we see Jesus, we will find comfort and satisfaction. Until that day, look for him every day. Commune with him. You will get a glimpse of what satisfied life means. Finally, 
for you shall rest and you will arise, note this, to your inheritance. Daniel, God says, you will receive your inheritance, that which you deserve and that which you don't deserve. That is your inheritance from me. Daniel, your questions may not be answered, but let me tell you what, your rewards are many. You've been obedient. You've been faithful. You will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. I don't know about you, but a lot of us live this life for the earthly things, and we know that. But I've been to enough funerals to tell you, you cannot bring your money with you. You cannot bring your reputation with you. You cannot bring your house with you. You cannot bring your car with you. All those things will be given to someone else or they will be destroyed. The only thing you're bringing with you to heaven or to hell is yourself. For those of you going to heaven, when you place your trust in your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, what will be waiting for you in heaven that you have begun to accumulate today in the way you live out your life? God promises Daniel, Daniel, you will enter into your inheritance. Now, I don't know about you, but here's Daniel, 80-year-old, 90-year-old. God has revealed to him so many things. The last request of an old, faithful man of God, God, just tell me. God says no. One of many times God says no, but you know what? When someone says no to us, we don't like it very much. No, Daniel, I cannot tell you anymore. But, Daniel... These are the things that I promised you. So, my friends, do you dare to be a Daniel? Do you dare to be bold and fearless for the remainder of your life? It is hard. It is hard to stand firm for the Lord. But the Bible says one day, one day you will get rest. One day you will be satisfied when you see your Savior. You will know it has been worth it all. And one day you will enter into your inheritance. Until that day, my friends, be like Daniel. Stand firm, stand bold. Be of good courage. Yes, your questions may not be fully understood, but it doesn't matter how long. It doesn't matter what's going to happen at the end, as long as you trust Him. What matters is that you trust Him until the day you see Him. Because on that day that you see Him, the Bible says, there you will realize why you have done what you have done. And it will be worth it all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement, the book of Daniel, but specifically this last chapter. In my life, in our life, there are so many things I do not understand. I too ask with everyone here, how long, how much longer, what will happen? I want to know God. And God, it so frustrates me when you don't tell me. But there's a lesson I must learn, and that lesson is to trust. And I pray it is the lesson that every person here will learn, to trust you so deeply, because you are a God who loves us so greatly. That you will send your son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins and our sins. I can trust my life into your hands. Take that blank sheet of paper. I've torn up what I planned for my own life. And I've given you that blank sheet of paper and say, do as you will, Lord. Not my will, 
but your will be done. But Lord, lock in my heart the understanding to move on, the acceptance to understand that I will rest one day. I will be satisfied and see that it has been worth it all when I see you and that I will be rewarded as you have promised for the life that I have lived on this earth. May it be that the inheritance and reward of those today superabound for all eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.